so we've got the baptism covered. Let's talk about this temptation. The temptation. Right, of Jesus. Rather quickly. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> urgently driven into the wilderness. Okay. So I, I read RC on this one too. Yeah. But it's, it's the last, the last heading. I didn't get to read any. I read the, the last part myself and, you know, we'll see how I stand up against these giants of theology. <laughs> <laughs> so um, RC made the, the, the point that he was urgently driven into the wilderness immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And it doesn't say that the spirit coaxed him mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it was more of the spirit immediately drove him, pushed out him into, into the it. wilderness. <laughs> right. Like it's time for your test. Go. Yeah. Irresistibly. Well, yeah. Cause you know, when we think about his difficulty in, in uh, Gethsemane, right. You know, if let this cup if you will let this cup pass from me you know it would be hard for anybody even even jesus in his humanity who would who would want to go into the wilderness for 40 days without food or drink to be tempted uh no that i mean that's not it's not within us to to want to go to that to that length Um, but he did it he did it for us he did it for the purpose of righteousness right He's he being our great high priest, being tempted in every way as we're tempted. The this period of time is immensely crucial for that. And I know even though Mark kind of condenses it a little bit, um, actually he condenses it quite a bit. Um, just because just a little, we, yeah, because we see okay he's there forty days, um, but we we know from from the other accounts that there were uh, there's an especially. Uh, important period of temptation by Satan that it's recorded in, in other accounts. Right. So, you know, that that's important, but the overall picture I think that we get here is also important, right? We don't, we don't necessarily have to have that detail in this moment to understand the gravity of this, that the perfect one was sent into the wilderness to be tempted and he would come out victorious as he always right. does. Absolutely. And uh, what what I see tied to this is this. He went out to get that redemptive aspect of this new covenant, just like Moses went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days mm-hmm. and he got the law. Why, why not do the same thing for such a much bigger covenant? Not necessarily right. bigger, but something that is glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. good news because the bad news was awful. Yeah. Yeah. The, the parallels with, with Sinai are, and even the, uh, the temptation in the wilderness too, of, of the people of Israel after the Exodus, you know, they wandered in the, in the wilderness for 40 years and it was just sin upon sin upon sin. So much so that even Moses disqualified himself from going into the promised land, you know, so, so condense that, that time of, of testing into not 40 years, but into 40 days of Christ uh, in his temptation and coming out on the other side, like you said, not with a new law, but the fulfillment of the law, right? That this, that he will be righteous on behalf of, of an, of a sinful unrighteous people and that his righteousness would be credited to us so that in our temptations, when we fail, as we do, we have that advocate with the father. We have the perfect forgiveness of sins in him 
by his work, uh, we're made clean. It's 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 Absolutely. hard to you you miss all of those connections when you unhitch from the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny. Um, I think uh, whenever I first started this, uh, uh, my pastor told me he said, "Read the New Testament first, then go to the Old Testament, and you'll see these connections that." Are in the New Testament, and you'll you'll realize, oh, that's actually fairly important. I need to know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I it, maybe this is kind of an edgy take, but I feel like if if Christians were more were better in touch with the New Testament, they would enjoy reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. Uh, basically, three of the five, three of the five books uh, of the Pentateuch are are books that people hate to read. In Deuteronomy. It was yeah. I think Deuteronomy is the book that Jesus quotes the most, right? Or no, was it Numbers? I think he quotes Numbers to Satan. Sorry, not Deuteronomy. You're the mature one here. I'm still learning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, as someone as someone who's only yeah, I've only been saved for like two years now. Reading back in the Old Testament, um, because you know I, I was told to do a Bible in a year constantly, so that's what I'm doing. But uh, reading back in the Old Testament, love seeing some of these things that you've read in the New Testament, um, it's almost like a ha, you know, I, I look at that. I, I know what that is now. <laughs> almost like that meme. Uh, I know that reference. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I understand that reference. Exactly. Thanks, Captain America. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking up to make sure I said the right thing about Jesus. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. Um, the the connections that I see are the, in the the same test that was given, kind of in a in an abrupt, uh, more condensed way with Adam and Eve, um, as in you know the devil came down and did the exact same thing, but with one party, they were well fed, groomed, and taken care of, while the other party was starving, um, and you know exhausted and lonely and had no one there. So it was just him indwelt by the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Having and, to deal with all know, this and good. Well, I, and I th- also thought it was interesting. This really struck me in reading the passage to get ready for this recording is um, I, I hadn't even thought about the wild beast part because it says that the, uh, the wild animals were there. Yes. So not only did Jesus have this, you know, spiritual battle going on, right. But he actually had, he had physical danger, not just associated with having a long fast. So there were wild animals around that, that could have been hurting him as well. Unlike Adam and Eve who had dominion over the animals. Right. Yeah. This is the fallen, the fallen creation, you know, I'm sure probably were eager to turn against its creator. (laughs) Although I would say that the, you know, the, the created order isn't, isn't as uh, hateful toward God as humanity is. Right. And I think that's uh, something about Uzzah and the Ark. I'm probably murdering his name, but he, uh, he thought that? that his hand was cleaner than the earth that the uh, Ark of the Covenant was going to fall down on. Oh, right. Instantly struck dead. The earth was yeah. going to do what it was supposed to do. His hand was fallen. Yeah. It would have been better for the Ark of the Covenant to have actually touched the ground than for his hand to have touched the Ark of the Covenant, except the right. poles that were used to carry it. Yeah. Yeah. He had too high a view of himself, right? Because he was a, he was of the priestly class. This was his solemn duty to carry the, 
and oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend, I'm gonna defend the uh, the ark against the uh, against getting dirty by the ground. No, the the ground never uh, spat in the face of holy God, right? The exactly the, the ground wasn't uh, a cosmic traitor against God. In fact, the the ground is cursed because of us, <laughs> because of our sin, right? That, that's that's why the creation came under the curse that it's currently under because of us because of our our uh, former federal head adam exactly and you you yeah. wouldn't get all that if you didn't know who he was and what order he was with nope. um he he knew he wasn't supposed to touch the ark absolutely just just like you know you it's it's funny how you miss these things if you don't really read into it mm-hmm. and i hear a lot or of like the time like nadab and abihu getting struck down because they burned the wrong kind of incense right exactly strange fire <laughs> they knew yeah. what they were supposed to do and they did the opposite And it's funny, you know, you don't if unless I I hear all the time, you know, you Calvinists read too much into it. But if you didn't read too much into it, you wouldn't get any of this stuff. And half of these biblical concepts would be lost to you, which is probably why these heretical Armenians are still out there. I'm just I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, yeah, because, you know, you you can't read into a text if you don't read it. And I I would say that, that there's a big section of. Christianity that doesn't read large chunks of the Bible. Sometimes those chunks are in the New Testament. Sometimes those chunks are in the Old Testament. You got to have the whole counsel of God working with itself, right? Scripture interpreting scripture, finding the links where the links show up between in the, a a word I love, the intertextuality of of the Bible. It's all tied together. Yep. Yep. And you, you, I see that more and more every single time I speak to you guys. <laughs> uh, there will be something that either I don't understand or I'll have thought of it differently. And you guys will explain it. And I'll be like, wow, that is a type of something else. And I can't see how it cannot be what you guys just explained. Yeah. yeah. This is why it's so funny when people fight about the canon of scripture. Like you'll get Roman Catholics in there fighting for certain deuterocanonical books to be in it. I'm like, tell me, tell me how any of this links up with what's going on in the Bible. You know, these, the, the self attestation aspect of, of the canon is, is so undeniable. Uh, it's, Mm. it's fascinating, but also really crucial proof that the canon as it sits here is what God intended to, to, to preserve for us. That's a whole soapbox I could jump on if I were if I were not careful. I have a book on it. I, I haven't started reading it yet, but I'm it's it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, get it on the list. <laughs> it's it's on there. I've got I've got a massive stack of books to read. Um yeah. and that's one of them. Uh I think I've only gotten to one argument about the actual canon once with mm-hmm. somebody, and they were talking about how you know Luther wanted to take all of these books out, and mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit humbling to them. I think whenever a Protestant would come back at them, like Luther wanted to take more than what we took out, out, <laughs> yeah. but half of the Protestants were like, no, stop taking yeah. books out. Yeah. Yeah. We kept him from getting James out of there. Come on. <laughs> exactly. And these Catholics like, Oh, no, okay. We did it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, speaking of, of uh, old Testament to new Testament links as well. There's another one in this verse uh, th- that came to me as I was, reading this talking about the angels ministering to Jesus while he was in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And that sent me mentally right back to uh, the story of Elijah where he was, uh, he was under the tree and exhausted. And then uh, 
all of a sudden there were cakes in a jar of water and he ate and then he slept and then there, there was more and then he ate and slept and then he actually outran the chariots that uh that were coming and that and was, was the tie they were bringing the law back uh-huh yeah 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 right. this is during the the struggles with ahab yeah in the the, the godless uh, rulers of israel at, at that moment so there's yeah. there's and, two there's two instances where there was a, a separation for the law and just kind of like calvin said there needed to be a separation here for the incoming of the truth sure sure this yeah. covenant of redemption you keep talking about right this covenant of redemption this is very important i i've i've said in the past that the the covenant of redemption is at the core of the gospel which itself is a pun you know because cor covenant of redemption oh <laughs> it's only funny to me don't worry about it um but yeah <laughs> yeah no there's definite parallels there you know because uh um in other parables that jesus said you know he he was sort of equating himself with the prophets of old um you know talking about like the the tenants of the vineyard where the 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 owner of the vineyard would send a messenger and they would kill the messenger uh, that he was going to give it away and and uh, lease it out to other tenants and then he'd send his son and they killed him too uh so jesus is is right up there with the prophets anyway so seeing seeing elijah as a type of Christ in many ways is, is an Orthodox thing to do. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else on those verses before we move to the next? I don't think so. Uh, just, I have a bunch of stuff written down here about the, the similarities between the trials of uh, Adam and Eve and him. Um, oh, right. Other than that, not really like basically the, the whole general, idea is hath god said are you going to believe and obey my word mm -hmm. that's that so clear this. in luke's in luke's account of of the temptation isn't it did right. god really say he even quotes a psalm to jesus right mm -hmm. says you know oh well the angels will bear you up so you don't strike your foot against a stone go ahead go ahead and throw yourself down that's that's why uh i said <laughs> Eisegesis is a work of Satan, right? It is. That's, ex that's exactly what Satan did there, right? He made the text say what he wanted it to say. We should be very careful how we touch scripture um, and, and not simply use it as a jumping, uh, a jumping off point uh, for what we... we <laughs> I'm dying. I'm I'm gonna be dying to put this out as a video. I'm just gonna say that right <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, but you won't. Oh. Let me. It's fine. <laughs> That'll I'll edit that out anyway. But uh, so what? Uh, where was I going with that? I forget. Okay. Where was I going with that? Did I answer what you did? I respond to what you were saying. You did somewhat about um, the the similarities about what was going on and just how you know, right. it was. Did God really say? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, a twisting of scripture and all that. It, it happens yeah. constantly. Everyone's got scripture to back themselves up, but you got to keep it in context. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, that's 
that would get me on another pet subject of mine, but the, uh, the importance of creeds, right? Creeds and confessions, because like you said, pe- people can twist scripture to make it say whatever they want to say. And it, that's been done in the past, especially when it came to the doctrine of God uh, or, or the, uh, the natures of Christ, those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. so ha- what happened, the church got together and developed uh, a, a definitive document stating uh, the truth of scripture very, very plainly. Uh, and so that's how we get things like, you know, the Nicene Creed or um, uh, the Apostles Creed. Uh, you know, we could, we could go on and on. The really important creeds that were zeroing in on the nature of God, uh, the nature of Christ, uh, who he is, what he did, uh, where he is now, all these kinds of things, and just ironing them out so there would be no ambiguity. We believe this. And if you're a Christian, you need to believe this as well. So because because otherwise you can run yourself off the rails. Right. To to go off on a tangent here about that. Um, so this past weekend, Easter weekend, um, mm-hmm. some of the uh the best and worst arguments come out this 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 weekend. Uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> yes, the most do. prolific one would be um in the Apostles' Creed, how he went to hell on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, um, some, I think I read another one recently and I'm teaching, I'm going through the apostles creed with my kids. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I, and I looked for the, the proofs and things, you know, before I started going through the creed, cause I don't want to teach my kids anything that I also do not believe because that would be absolutely ridiculous. So some of the apostles creeds, especially if I'm on the road, because on, uh, we do family worship time on Sunday now as a part of our Christian Sabbath. And, uh, we, go through that, the, the creed, as well as some of the catechism and uh, things of that nature. And one of the creeds I pulled up didn't say he went to hell. As a matter of fact, it said he went into death, which is definitely different. Maybe That's not definitely theologically, different. but it's, it's different whenever my kids hear it, because they're <laughs> not going to get the same thing out of it. <laughs> I like it when, uh, people have a, a versions of the creed that say either well the, uh, either they'll say Hades, which is normal, more normal, uh, or or sometimes you'll see people use Sheol as well, oh, yeah. which is sort of like a, a place of the dead. Because when we think of hell, we're we're talking like post judgment, lake of fire type thing, um, and that in the the white throne judgment hasn't occurred yet, right. so it's a little it's a little misleading. Uh, to say that he went to hell when, you know, hell hasn't been hasn't been filled up yet. Exactly. Uh, it's there a, are what, people waiting. Two sides of Sheol. Yeah, there's the the conceptions out there. You know, in the in the Old Testament, there are reference. See, Sheol is a is an Old Testament uh, word, right? Um, people in the Greek world would would talk about Hades, and it's roughly the same idea. But Sheol would be a place for the dead, and there's sort of a um, a wicked side where the wicked go. And that that's why like in Psalm 16, David's saying, you know, to God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Right. So there's an, an abandonment side uh, of, of, of that place. Okay. But then there's another side uh, we see actually in the new Testament t- called um, Abraham's bosom. Right. Uh, oh, rich where, man and Lazarus. Yeah. With the rich man and Lazarus. And he's able to, you know, see out, uh, you know, for a time people, for the purpose of that story, you know, they're able to see in, uh, 
And so anyway, uh, th- that would be where a blessed person would would go. So, you know, th- not to say that it's like a, a place w- that has like a wall down the middle. This is the this is the wicked side and this is the righteous side. But there's a chasm, saying that, right? Yeah, a, a, a great. Yeah, a great chasm or gulf between. Right. Um, it That's helpful language to help us kind of build a picture. But uh, we can't say exactly that that's you know what it looks like. But all that, all that to say that, you know, Jesus went to the place of the dead. You know, he, all, all, all people go somewhere when they die. Now that, that doesn't mean that Jesus went to like purgatory, you know? Right. That you know, doesn't we, exist. We deny, yeah. We deny that place as an, as an existing place uh, where people are working the off their sins. What would you say? That come from the Maccabees or something like that? I can't remember. I can't remember the the basis for it in Roman Catholic doctrine. Uh, it might be something like that. I should I, I should was, research that. I think I was discussing it with someone one day, and the story. No, I think I was probably listening to RC because he is my teacher. He's <laughs> fantastic. He he was talking about how in either first or second Maccabees, um, uh, a bunch of the soldiers died, and the captain was walking through there and found a bunch of idols hidden within their coats. Um, so then he, uh, took their idols away and I think he baptized them. Maybe, I, I don't know. I'd have to read it again, but basically they were in purgatory until these things happened in the living world. Like, oh. and, and no one understands this. It's very much like acts probably, you know, where it's more descriptive rather than prescriptive, but they grabbed those verses and ran away and made a doctrine about it. You can't get too creative in your theology. I'm sure I wish the church would have learned that by now, but it seems like people are more creative now than ever. <laughs> yeah. There's all sorts of weird, innovative doctrines out there. Some interesting ones. It's worth, I, you know, I avoided cultish for so long. Um, Shame and then on I finally, you. finally listened to it. And it was talking about the, uh, the new age, the gods mm-hmm. of the new age and the, the gurus and stuff. Yep. That's interesting. Isn't that That's some good stuff? It explains oh, a absolutely. lot. Yeah. It explains a lot of how a lot of that Eastern mysticism has kind of engulfed our culture. It's been it's been washing up on the shore for a long, long time, but it, it seems to you know, have kind of done a tsunami. <laughs> right. I've heard, stick with I've heard some things about yoga and things like that. Mm-hmm. But here, here yeah. some them talk about how it's it's really tied directly into the spirituality of that religion. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> even even the roots of the word of faith movement have at least some some connection to Eastern thought, especially uh, coming out of yeah. India. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some weird Hindu kind of stuff in the in the background of those kinds of things. Yeah, it's very it's strange crazy how it's all tied together. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know it. All right. So fourteen fifteen. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So this is where that, you know, the the linking of the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus sort of handing over uh, what John had built, uh, where John was going with things, and, and Jesus rightfully taking that and truly running with it. Right. So John was doing the baptism of repentance and Jesus added to it and said, repent and believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
the in the the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, right? So all the people who were waiting, waiting for the kingdom of God, you know, having gone through the years of silence, you know, after after the the delivery of Malachi's prophecy, you know, that that whole period of silence. Well, there's no more there's no more waiting that the Messiah is here, the time's at hand. So um, it, he's a Messiah that they weren't expecting, who who certainly looked and acted a lot different than people were thinking. But regardless, the time is at hand. Repent and believe uh, the kingdom is here. The kingdom mm-hmm. is at hand. So repent already and believe not in yet. the gospel. <laughs> right, already and not yet. Yeah, not fully consummated, but but yes, might as well be. The reality is there. The substance is there. That's why that's why we pray, you know, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because we we seek that we desire it. Um, and we know we know that Christ is reigning right now. And, and we're eager to see that play out in our in our world. That's kind of a and see a, it in the church more of a. Yeah. That, and that's the church's job, right? We're, we're to bring forth mm-hmm. that kingdom. Yeah. OK. Yeah, we're we're living out the reality of the kingdom in our in our times, right? And and Jesus is building his kingdom in in the growth of the church too. Uh, the kingdom on earth is is uh, is walking around us right now, you know, in the the in the church universal, so to speak. Right, our will to bring forth the kingdom is compatible with him doing it through us. Absolutely. Yep. I'm learning my Look at you as you're, we you're... go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, th- this is I think part of even though it's I know it's really clear in 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 the other gospel accounts too, but I this is part this kind of thing is why part of why I love Mark so much <clears throat> is because he's been all through the chapter up to this point, it's, you know, this happened, immediately this happened, immediately this happened, and it's all building up and building up. And we get to this this moment here, which I feel is like like the crescendo of what's been coming up. You know, Jesus is introduced. The way is set for him by John the Baptist. Uh, John comes up. He's getting the message out there. In comes Jesus, baptized by John, tempted in the wilderness, proven to be uh, the sinless son of God comes in here and you know metaphorical guns blazing you know picks up the message and says you know the time is up you know the time you've been waiting for is here you know the messiah has arrived the kingdom is at hand uh repent and believe the gospel and that's and that's how you enter the kingdom you know there's no it's not like in rome where there was if you weren't born a citizen you had to pay a ton of money to become a citizen of rome Right. There's no there's no citizenship fee. It's just repent and believe in the gospel. You know, it's not easy, but it's simple. So would you identify his preaching of the gospel with something similar to what Stephen did in Acts before he was stoned to death? Uh, yeah, just a, maybe a little less detailed. Right. Because <laughs> Stephen Stephen was telling a bunch of history before he got to the to the real nugget. Right. He was. You know, Stephen's sermon was was heavier on the law here than than Jesus is, right? Because Jesus is yeah. is uh, in saying the time is fulfilled. He's 
he's pointing to all of redemptive history in in one quick word there you know the time is fulfilled all of this searching and hoping for a messiah that has been going on ever since um ever since the uh the uh, proto-evangelion in the in the garden where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent all of that is has culminated now and the time is here you know congratulations everyone around you you live to see it you know <laughs> it's it's here the the time's here the messiah is here and uh stand back and watch this new thing happening and come be part of it repent and believe let your sins be washed away and as as jesus jesus showed in his baptism uh you'll go into the water you'll you'll be clean and uh you you'll be raised from death to life that's so pretty radical new covenant thing right that would make everyone mad um oh totally the folks who don't believe in the resurrection, um, all of the the Pharisee Jews who are like, you know, I'm I'm clean as is. Why would I need to be cleaned again? And that's something that uh, the Gentiles had to do before they came over to Judaism. Yeah. So wouldn't you say that Stephen would probably be the Paul washer of the Bible? <laughs> if you like an anachronism, sure, I guess. <laughs> I would say Paul Washer is a, is attempting to be Stephen, <laughs> doing a Wish, terrible job, that, wishing that to be Stephen, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, the um, you know, I, I've told people before, especially when it comes to preaching, like you can't the you know a great model of preaching is in the pages of Scripture, right? Not only I I contend that the Book of Hebrews is itself the uh, a sermon that was preached it paul. reads just like a sermon when you read it yeah i'm pretty sure paul preached it uh and was written down by somebody maybe mark Apollos. maybe luke uh people have people have lots of ideas uh but then you also have the a great sermon by uh by peter in acts uh you've got that sermon by Stephen that gets unfortunately cut off before it was over, but it was heading in the right direction. And what are they all doing? They're all exegeting passages of scripture. They're taking them and they're opening the, opening them up and showing the implications of what's written there and pointing to Christ using them. And that's exactly so, what preaching should be. Now, have you heard Ray Comfort do his uh, street preaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he, he sums his stuff. I would say if I had to estimate, he would, he, he assumes that he's going to get kicked out rather quickly. So he pushes <laughs> a lot into five minutes Yeah, and it's typically telling you how bad you are. Well, no, he's leading you to the water of how bad you are. Mm-hmm. And then he's saying, and this is what Jesus is and who he is and what he's done for you. Now, would that be an accurate depiction of what you think should be done? I'm just, I'm asking you personally. Totally. Okay. The only expectation, the only difference in expectation is that, you know, if we're preaching in on the Lord's day to the Lord's people in the Lord's house, then we should expect to have at least 30 minutes to, to do all of that. <laughs> right. Cause, cause we're supposed to be preaching to the redeemed, right? This is a preaching is a means of grace, uh, that, that is meant to, uh, nourish the faith of god's people 
So the, o- the only thing different from that is that uh, don't expect a hostile audience. You know, we sure not everybody in uh, at the meeting house that morning, that Sunday morning, isn't going to be a Christian. You know, there, there's good odds of that, but we shouldn't expect to be stoned uh, inside uh, of our churches <laughs> if we preach. Right. So, right. so plan, plan to have a, a, an entire half hour, maybe even 45 minutes to totally let that message out and breathe. Yeah. I revolve these questions a lot, but what would you say? Cause I, I think I probably even asked this last time um, in regards to um, trying to find a good way to word this because the gospel should in some way, shape or form be in every Sunday. Mm-hmm. How, as far as arming the sheep rather than aiming for the, because I, I think, yeah, we definitely touched on it last time because I mentioned how Rick Warren does it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 100% aimed at the goats out right. there. Right. Um, what do you think? I mean, is, wrong. That's wrong to do. <laughs> it's not necessarily a good ratio, but for instance, you have someone who's teaching through Mark. Okay. At what point, or not necessarily what point, but should it be 95% aimed at the explicit exegeting of Scripture with very clear allusions to the gospel? Or should it always be, Jesus is this, you are this, and this is what he did for you? Should every Uh, Sunday sound the same? Every Sunday shouldn't sound the same, but people shouldn't be surprised by by what they hear from their pastor. Right. Uh, You know, we we need to be we need to be confronted with our sin at some point. Right. Uh, We need to be shown Christ. Um, We need all those things on the Lord's Day. You know, now, sometimes, depending on the text, that may not uh, the pointing out of our sin may not come out as strong as it will with other texts. But the point of the sermon is is for the point of the text to be the point of the sermon, and so to to take to take a text and make it say both of those things if it doesn't would also be wrong, right? That that's why there are elements to a church service. You know, uh, in a lot of liturgies in Reformed churches, there are um, uh, confession periods. You know, uh, there are uh, like confession of sin where uh, it, it'll be a time of prayer or uh, one of the elders will, will say a prayer and confess, you know, uh, or, or, or part of a confession or creed will be said, you know, that, that we have not lived as we should. Uh, we have like lost sheep have gone astray, you know, some, something to that effect. And then an assurance of pardon is read. Um, th- this is pretty common in, uh, especially in like Presbyterian Reformed churches, but even Reformed Baptist churches do, do the, this sort of thing. But but typically you're going to get a, a good balance of law and gospel in the sermon. Huh. I've I've never witnessed that. Um, never. No, and I've been going to the oh. same. I've been going to the same mega church. Let me be let me be careful about how I say it because <laughs> there are some Sundays where they more than do it justice. But like say you're teaching, I'm gonna try and find something <laughs> that's Good not luck. explicitly. Yeah, I know, right? Uh in my regular reading, just let's go to judges. Just 
Okay. Pick a passage out of Judges. Say you don't specifically, and you need to teach the history of what's going on in Judges. Mm -hmm. Now, how would you, would the liturgy take mm -hmm. part there of what of where you feel like there should be gospel here and where where there's more of teaching of history and things going on um, in Judges? Would you sub the gospel in more there rather than? trying to make the text say something that it doesn't say well it depends on what what a proper cross-reference would be you know i think part of the strengths of old testament preaching is being able to to follow that that scarlet thread of redemption into the new testament so there's a lot of crossovers with christ in the entire book of judges um and okay. so bad book uh, to choose i'm sorry and, well the, the problem is all of <laughs> the you're going to find something in all of the old testament that points to christ in some yeah. way or another now will it be in every passage of every book in the old testament is is another question um i you know i do think that uh we should be testifying to the truth of god in those passages as they're preached 